Hello, brothers, sisters, and friends, and welcome to You Are the Current Resident Podcast. This is the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers, the union that represents 280,000 active and retired city letter carriers employed by the United States Postal Service. I'm Ed Morgan, and sitting next to me, as always, is our national president, Brian Renfro. Hey, Bri, how are you? Hey, Eddie, doing well, doing well. Glad to be back home. Yeah, we're in the same room. It's been a while. Yeah. Guess we won't mention the Phillies. We'll leave that be. I'm happy for you, brother. I feel like Charlie Brown, they're going to pull the football away, and then we'll wind up <laughs> losers anyway. So uh, we have some of these uh, enough is enough rallies going on. Do you want to talk about the one in San Francisco? Yeah, we've got, uh, I think on last week's episode, we talked about the two that we have at that time were coming up that happened this past week, one in uh, just outside Denver in Aurora, Colorado, and then one in Houston, Texas. We also have uh, a rally planned this upcoming week on November the 3rd with Branch 214 in San Francisco. So this has been, uh, we were in Oakland a few weeks ago, and in the Bay Area we've had unfortunately a number of assaults and robberies against our members and but thankfully we've started to see also a little bit of the impact of what we've been doing i know a few weeks ago u.s attorney's office there in northern california had a press conference where they announced 10 arrests which is a good start but uh, we need more and that'll kind of be the theme of what we do coming up on friday out in san francisco so looking forward to being there with uh Branch 214, and I'm sure some of our brothers and sisters from the neighboring branches in the Bay Area will be there as well. So excited to keep getting the word out. I think, uh, as we've talked about before, that's a big part of the solution here. We also had some movement on the Hill this week. Do you want to talk about the Federal Retirement Fairness Act? Yeah, so on previous episodes, we've uh, talked in depth about legislation and politics and uh, legislatively in particular what our priorities are. And one of those was the Federal Retirement Fairness Act. And at the time we recorded the episode uh, that we dug pretty deep on this topic, we it had not yet been introduced. And thankfully, it has now been reintroduced in this Congress. Its bill number is H.R. 5995. It's once again the Federal Retirement Fairness Act. And it has four original sponsors, a Democrat from Washington, Derek Kilmer, a Democrat from Virginia, Jerry Connolly, and then also two Republicans from California, David Valadio, and from Nebraska, Don Bacon. So this bipartisan piece of legislation is designed to allow federal employees, including postal employees and, and letter carriers, in our case, the opportunity for them to make contributions or buy back the time they served as a non-career employee and have it credited to them for retirement purposes. It applies to any time that was spent as a non-career employee after December 31st, 1988. So in the case of city carriers, that would include, of course, time as a city carrier assistant over the last decade or so, but also would include those that, that worked as transitional employees or casuals. So any time that anyone's worked as a non-career employee going all the way back to uh, the last day of 1988 would be covered. So we're really excited to get this bill introduced. Once again, it's a bipartisan piece of legislation. So we encourage all our members out there to uh, go to our website. You'll see a, a news story right there on the front page that tells you a little bit about it. And then it's also got a link at the bottom of that story that takes you to a place on the website where you can contact your member of Congress 
and ask them to co-sponsor the bill. So the more of, of our listeners and our members that will take that step and, you know, the more kind of noise we make to let our representatives know the importance of this legislation. Now, this is something that affects almost 65% of our active members have some time as a non-career employee. So this is a bill that uh, would have a tremendous impact. And now that it's been introduced in the House, our focus is on continuing to build support for it and running up those numbers of uh, of co-sponsors. And uh, that'll be our immediate focus. And, you know, we'll do everything we can do to uh, eventually see this become law. But this is um, something that would be a tremendous benefit to a whole lot of city letter cares. And uh, where are you headed this week? Yeah, we've got our um, last of our 15 regional wrap sessions. So Region 2 over the course of the year is is always the last one. And uh, theirs happens at the end of October, early November. Um, it's in Idaho this year. So you know, looking forward to being out there with them. They have a just a long tradition of doing excellent training out in Region 2, and I know it'll be no different this year, and I'm excited about the opportunity um, later in the week to be there with them and share a lot of information with the members that are in attendance, and as always, look forward to hearing you know, from them as to what's going on in their part of the country. So it's the last one out of the 15, and we'll have a couple of months here where we don't have regional wraps going on, and they'll start back up in uh, in February of next year. But it's one of my favorite things that I get to do, and that's to training is something that's, it is, you know, because you share this, it is very special to me and having the opportunity to attend the great training that our national business agents and the folks from their offices do is is always fun. So looking forward to being out with Region 2 this week. Saving the best for last. Yeah, there you go. Well, today we're going to be talking about Regional Grievance Assistance, or RGAs, and we have a special guest. Do you want to talk about him? Sure. So we'll get to, to Tim in a minute. Yeah, this episode is is really about the network that we have for representing our members. And, you know, on a very recent episode, uh, we, we talked about OWCP and we talked about the network that we have there, which includes our regional workers' compensation assistance and then people at the branch level. When it comes to the grievance arbitration procedure, we have had for some time a very extensive network that goes from shop stewards on the workroom floor to formal A representatives um, to step B to you know what we do in arbitration and at various times on the podcast, we've talked about that. But we decided a few years ago um, under President Orlando's leadership to continue to invest in that network. And we created a position in our regional offices called Regional Grievance Assistance. And uh, we'll get in depth here in a few minutes about what they do. But in a nutshell, these people are, you know, very experienced uh, grievance handlers. They're folks that are very good at training and, and teaching others. So they have done a great job of, of strengthening that network through, you know, not just directly providing representation, but, you know, all the other things that they do as far as education and facilitating the various ways that we can strengthen our branches. So we've got a great guest today to talk about that. He's a special executive assistant to the president, Tim McKay. He's a letter care from Charleston, West Virginia. And once we, uh, get Tim here. I'm sure he'll tell you a little bit about his history, but his role has been kind of coordinating the activities of our regional grievance assistance for the last several years. So 
uh, we're excited to have Tim on the podcast. Yeah, really good union man. Same way with Jim Yates when I first got down here. A guy that took me under his wing and a, a really good person. Here's my interview with NALC Special Executive Assistant to the President, Tim McKay. Hey, Tim, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, before we get into today, we're going to talk about regional grievance assistance, which you are, you know, really familiar with. But before we do that, I think I told everyone in the intro, you're a letter carrier from Charleston, West Virginia. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you ended up in, in the position you're in now and maybe a little bit about uh, what you do. Sure. So I started my postal career in 1998. I actually started as a clerk. I transferred to letter carrier in 2003. In early 2004, my then branch president approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in, in taking on the job as shop steward, um, which I agreed. Uh, 2006, I went to NALC Leadership Academy started doing formal A's. 2008, I actually became the branch president. Some of the other roles I had in my local branch, I was newsletter editor at one point. I was trustee. I was a state vice president. Also was an arbitration advocate for Reach 13. I also uh, was the district uh, lead team member on all of the alternate route adjustment processes. In 2014, um, I started coming to NALC headquarters. In 2015, I uh, was brought on full-time on March 2nd, to be honest. And I've been, I started in city delivery. In 2018, I became the special executive assistant to President Orlando. I was very happy to serve with him uh, his entire last term. Some of the things that I do with, at NALC uh, are, are numerous. <laughs> Anything you tell me to do, basically. Yeah, Tim does, you know, all sorts of stuff from, you know, working with the Postal Service on collective bargaining issues to, you know, helping me with uh, internal things to you name it. He, he does a lot of work. We have a number of letter care staffers here now. I, I, what are we at? 15, 16, I think. Tim's kind of the, the leader of, of that whole group. So, I can speak to that directly having, when I was director of city delivery, that was when Tim came to headquarters and worked with me there. So uh, he's definitely, uh, through all the work he's done since he, he's been here, been a huge benefit to uh, to our members out there. So I introduced this a little bit uh, earlier in the podcast, but we're talking about our uh, network of representation and the grievance arbitration procedure and specifically the regional grievance assistants that have been around a while and uh, now several years. And you have, have worked, you know, with them in terms of coordinating a lot of their activities since really they were established a few years ago. So why don't we start there? Um, why don't you maybe give us a little bit of, uh, of background, you know, what they did in the beginning, kind of what the intent was, which for the most part is still their responsibility today. But just anything that uh, you want to share with the listeners about this position when it was initially created and uh, what kind of that initial thought was in terms of what their role would be, how to plug into our network. Sure. So the regional grievance assistant position was started in early 2019. At the time, we started out with, with two of our members who, who were appointed to that position. 
you know, you stated earlier uh, that, you know, President Orlando created this position in his last term of office. His vision, is, as I like to explain it, when I talk to people about what the position means, especially when we have a new business agent takes over or when we're, we have a new RGA that's appointed, I always sit down with them and I kind of give them that vision uh, of what the RGA position is supposed to entail. So the RGA position was created, in essence, to make sure that all of our members receive the same level of representation, whether they're in the smallest branch or the largest branch in the country. We have some branches out there that may not have the same resources that other branches have and might not have the same representational ability. So the idea behind the Regional Grievance Assistant was to ensure that all those members receive that level of representation. One of the other things, though, that they do is it's not just go in and file grievances on behalf of our members. One of the other things that they do is they go into these branches that may not be able to stand on their own two feet at times and try to identify people within those branches uh, that they could mentor up, that they could train up to be leaders in that branch to, to, to help assist the rest of the membership. Some of the other things that they do they provide specialized training um, in certain areas of need. Uh, they do a lot of travel around um, throughout all, all of the branches within their region to make sure that they are receiving the training needs. Yeah, yeah. I think you. one of the points you made there is really important that, yes, we send these RGAs often to a location to file a specific grievance, you know, because there's a member there that needs representing. That's a big part of what they do. But we also, while doing that, we want them to identify kind of longer term solutions. And, you know, in some cases that's uh, assisting the individual there that may already be a shop steward or, or, you know, a branch officer as far as education and kind of bringing them along and helping sharpen their skills. Sometimes that's identifying or recruiting someone to, to represent them. And, and then sometimes they, you know, go in and, and find that uh, maybe the best solution is to talk to them about potentially merging with another branch that uh, that's, you know, in that geographic area. So the idea is for them to go in and, and yes, provide that representation in, in that particular case, but to also have a more longer term view of, of, hey, we're, we're, going to figure out what we can do here to, to have some sustainability in terms of the representation that we provide for our members. So these folks are uh, scattered throughout the country, and why don't we just kind of start with who they are. Um, you can tell us about them. Once again, just generally speaking, they're all folks that are, are very experienced in the grievance arbitration procedure and um, the, the way we have them structured currently is they all do have geographic, certain geographic areas they're responsible for. So, Tim, let's start there with who they are. Why don't you tell us about each one of them, and, uh, and then we'll get into a little bit more about their job and what they do. Sure. So, as I stated earlier, we started out with two RGAs to begin with. Um, currently, we're up to 10 uh, throughout the country. Right now, um, in Region 1, uh, that position is vacant. Uh, our most recent RGA is now an RAA. But in Region 2, we actually have two RGAs, Sue Wellhausen and Amy Gallo. In uh, Regions 3, 5, and 7, we have Margaret Parker. She covers all three of those regions. Jeff Hartman, he's in Region 4. We have Anna Mudd. Uh, she actually covers two regions, Regions 6 and 11. J. 
Jason Ashley covers Region 8. We have Eric Sloan in Region 9. Richard Gould in Region 10. Alton Branson, he covers two regions, Regions 12 and 13. And then Kevin Flaherty, he also covers two regions, Regions 14 and 15. Yeah, and these um, RGAs, they work out of our NBA offices. That's correct. Yeah, so there, there's a lot of coordination, as you know, Tim talked about, that some of them, it really is just due to the workload. I mean, regions differ in, in size in terms of the number of members. They obviously differ in geography. You know, he mentioned in Region 2 we have – two RGAs. That's usually, well, normally when we look at an area like Region 2, you, you cover this vast, you know, territory. So there's a lot of uh, travel is pretty extensive there, as opposed to maybe some other regions that might be a little more compact where you can drive around. So, and this is not always the case, but for the most part, it's the smaller branches that tend to need a little more assistance in the larger branches. Once again, there's exceptions to that. There's certainly smaller branches out there that do an outstanding job. And, and in some cases, there's larger branches that need some assistance. So, you know, that's not true 100% of the time. But for the most part, it's most of their time is spent working in the smaller branches. And when you have large geographic areas that have a lot of small branches, it requires more people to cover them. So, uh, the fact that several of them cover multiple regions kind of is where, Tim, where you come in in terms of, you know, communicating with the, the RGAs themselves, communicating, of course, with the national business agents, you know, for whatever their need may be. So why don't you just talk to us a little bit about that and, and how that process works with the idea being that we've got a listener out there that may need some assistance in their branch. What do they do? How, what should we advise them to do if they need the type of assistance that uh, someone from our NBA office and maybe an RGA could provide? I definitely work with all the RGAs. Um, we meet quite frequently, to be honest with you. Once in a while, we'll just get together and have a conversation about what each of them are doing within their respective regions. The reason that we do that is it's really good for the other RGAs to hear what everyone else is doing. It's basically a way of sharing best practices. Because like you stated earlier, various parts of the country have different levels of needs and, and, and different uh, things that they have going on. So they share those ideas with each other. Um, I coordinate all of the travel for the RGAs that goes through me, all of their travel authorizations, any types of issues that they may have. But more importantly than just organizing travel, we're constantly bouncing ideas off of each other on ways to uh, best represent the membership. The advice that I would give to anyone out there listening who says, hey, you know, I really could use somebody to come into my branch and give me assistance, whether it be through, because I have a grievance backlog, whether I'm a new officer and I could just use the assistance of somebody more experienced. I would certainly say reach out to your national business agents office. Mm -hmm. Their numbers are listed on our NELC website. If you can't find them, call here at headquarters. We'll certainly put you in touch with the right person. But you should not hesitate to reach out and seek the assistance or at least have that conversation with your national business agent about possibly sending a regional grievance assistant in there. I work with all of the business agents, as Brian stated earlier, you know, I uh, have RGA, some RGAs have multiple regions that they cover. So I work hand in hand with the, with the multiple NBAs within those regions. To help assess the needs, where to send the RGA, and even bounce ideas off of, the, uh, off of them as well. 
Tim, now that uh, we've had the RGAs out there for a few years and, you know, they've gained a lot of experience in helping out different branches, is there one thing that comes to mind to you that, that through that experience we've, we've learned from and, and, you know, that they've improved on over time or, or really any part of our representational, you know, network and responsibility, something we've learned and kind of put into action based on what our RGAs have, have learned through their own experiences? Yeah, so I think the probably the thing that we, the one thing that we learn the most was that it's not always a one-size-fits-all situation. What, what the RGAs are really good at is going into individual branches, assessing their individual needs, and then gearing some sort of, whether it be training or plan for representation specific to what's going on in that individual situation. For example, recently we had a branch where we had a whole new set of officers. We had a whole new set of stewards who were installed. They reached out for help because, you know, admittedly, they, they were new to their positions and, and they wanted some assistance in learning how to do their jobs. So the RGA literally went in and spent a week with those individuals, assessing exactly what they knew, what they didn't know, um, assessing the needs for them, the ability for them to represent their members and put a plan into place on how to train those individuals up to represent their membership. And the RGA uh, still works with them today. It's an ongoing situation, an evolving situation, where it's kind of just a mentoring program. Last thing, I, I once again, I guess I'll kind of ask this to myself, is, you know, we've added uh, over the years a number of different uh, types of positions that, that specialize in certain areas to our regions. Today, we're talking about regional grievance assistance. On a previous episode, we talked about our regional workers' compensation assistance. We have legislative and political organizers. We now have full-time arbitration advocates. We've got several of those scattered throughout the country. And a question that often comes is, what's the difference between those folks, in this case an RGA, and our regional administrative assistants? And regional administrative assistants, or RAAs, uh, in our Constitution, number one, they, they are classified as officers in our Constitution. They are appointed by the president of the NELC, so that's my responsibility to really appoint all these people, but constitutionally to uh, appoint an REA who... REAs have constitutional duties that are essentially to assist the national business agent with everything that that NBA is responsible for within their region, which is a wide range of things. I mean, everything from things that are very familiar, such as, you know, the grievance arbitration, step P, what we do in arbitration. There's training, there's um, OWCP, I mean, you name it. There's all sorts of stuff, assisting branches with whatever it is that they need. So constitutionally, an RAA is an assistant to them within the region. These other positions that we've created really are just a continued investment in our representational networks. In this case, we're talking about our grievance arbitration process and, and that network, you know, using the RGAs as we've discussed. And for our WCAs, it's it's OWCP. For our legislative and political organizers, it's obviously in the legislative and political field. And again, that will likely continue in the future. So, you know, it's it's simply just viewed as, as taking the people. Our union, you know, is very blessed to have 
activists far more than, than we currently have in these positions that are just very much capable of improving those networks. And, you know, we continue to evaluate the need for, for REAs as well as these other positions. But in a nutshell, the difference is RAAs constitutionally are appointed officers within their region, their duty in the Constitution is to assist the NBAs. These other positions that we create are staff positions that we put in place in order to just improve those networks, and uh, we'll continue that in the future. Well, Tim, I appreciate you taking a little time to join us before uh, we get out of here. Is there anything in particular about RGAs or uh, otherwise that you'd like to say to our listeners before we go? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, For starters, thank you for having me. One of the things I'd like to say about the RGAs is just really give them the credit that they deserve, the amount of work that they do. Um, A lot of these folks are constantly living on the road. They're always looking for ways to best assist the branches out there. Uh, They're constantly giving their input um, on the needs of of their respective regions. They're out there giving training and they really, um, they live to do their job. They love this work and I can't say enough good things about them. And I'd certainly like to thank them for all their hard work that they do, Brian. Yeah, no, very well said. And and just like, you know, many of our other officers and and different staff positions that we have at NELC at the national level, at the regional level, certainly there's folks at the branch level. You know, these people are, you know, very, as you said, they're very dedicated. They spend a lot of time on the road. They spend a lot of time away from home, you know, away from their families and there's certainly a, a, a tremendous amount of sacrifice that they make, but they all do it because they care about the members of our union and the people that we represent. So, Tim, it's been great having you, and we look forward to uh, continuing to improve everything we do representation-wise and uh, appreciate everything you do. But specifically, I know the RGAs would say the same, but they appreciate everything you do to help them out and be sure they're in a position to succeed. Thank you. Appreciate what you do to support us. All right, now we're going to go to our Ask the Mailbag segment. Our first question comes from Chad from Branch 531. He wants to know when we're going to observe, as letter carriers, are we going to observe Veterans Day? Well, this is one that, uh, for whatever reason, it seems there's a lot of confusion out there, but the answer is actually very straightforward. Um so Veterans Day this year is on Saturday, and um, for city carriers, Saturday is a normal work day. Therefore, the holiday for us, for Veterans Day, is on Saturday, November the 11th. Now, if that Saturday is your non-scheduled day, then your designated holiday will be your regularly scheduled day immediately prior to that. So if you have fixed days off and Saturday, Sunday are your days off, then then your designated holiday would be the Friday before. If you have rotating days off and that's your long weekend, that Friday and Saturday are, are your regularly scheduled days off, then your designated holiday would be on Thursday prior to Veterans Day. So a lot of times we see calendars and things that, that say the federal holidays observed on Friday. That That's true of government agencies, banks in some cases, you know, that are Saturday's not a normal business day for them, but for the Postal Service and for what we do, Saturday's a normal business day, so the holiday is observed on the day itself, on Saturday, November the 11th. Our next question comes from Rex Pennington. 
He's a CCA and an NALC member at Branch 601 in Holland, Michigan. His question is about health insurance. As a dues-paying member of the NALC, why is the NALC health benefit plan not available to CCAs? Yeah, so, well, first, it technically is available to CCAs. Where the issue comes in is the percentage of the premium that the Postal Service either pays or does not pay. So in our collective bargaining agreement, if you go into the, uh, there's an appendix in our contract that covers a lot of different issues related to CCAs. There's a section in there that references Article 21. For CCAs, the Postal Service will pay 75% of the premium for the Postal Service non-career health plan. And they pay 75% whether you get single, self plus one, or self and family. But it's only for the Postal Service non-career health plan. So CCAs do have access to the plans that fall under the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program, including the NALC health benefit plan, the high option plan, I assume, is what that you're referencing there. The reason that almost no one has this plan is that it would be exceptionally expensive because the employee has to pay the entire premium. The Postal Service does not pay any of the premium, and that's just something that comes along through collective bargaining. So having to pay 100% of the premium you know, is unaffordable for almost everyone. Going back to the creation of CCAs with a DOS award back in 2013, you know, we have constantly bargained improvements and increases in terms of the amount that the Postal Service pays for health care for non-career employees. And that Postal Service non-career plan is designed to keep costs down while employees are non-career employees. The maximum time that anyone serves as a CCA in our craft is 24 months. After 24 months, you're automatically converted to career. In most cases, people are converted to career prior to that. At the point in time when you are converted to career status, you have a window there where you can enroll in a federal employee health benefit program plan including the NALC high option plan, the Postal Service will pay 72% of the premium, and that's what the vast, vast, vast majority of our career employees choose to do. So at whatever point you convert to career status, I uh, strongly encourage you to look very closely at the NALC plan. It is a plan that our union owns. It exists for the sole purpose of serving our members, and uh, I think you'll find, you know, even looking at it, objectively, that it offers the best coverage uh, at the best value of all the plans that are out there. So at whatever point you convert to career, take a close look at it. Um, You'll have the opportunity to enroll at that point, and the Postal Service will pay a significant portion of the premium, and it's it's very affordable and offers excellent benefits. And once again, are designed, uh, it's a plan that's designed to, to cover letter carriers. Our final question this week comes from Elvis Negron from Branch 3792. He was wondering if we could talk about the process of e-reassign. He just wants to know the process so he can explain it to his wife so that she can understand why we have to continue waiting years for a transfer. Yeah, good question. So e-reassign to start is just simply the program that the Postal Service has designed where employees can go in and request a voluntary transfer from one installation to another installation. The way it works, it's a first-come, first-serve process. So whenever someone submits a request to transfer to a different installation, when an opportunity in that that installation becomes available, 
There is an MOU in our contract. It's called Full-Time Opportunity City Letter Carrier Craft that lays out a process for how the Postal Service is required to fill those opportunities. There's a ratio also included, which ensures that we fill them through a combination of accepting transfers and conversions of CCAs to career status within that installation. So when the Postal Service can fill one by taking a transfer, they will go to the list, which is generated from e-reassign. The first person to have an active request that submitted it the earliest, and that request is still active, is the first to be considered. Now, there are considerations. There's an MOU in our contract on transfers that lays out certain considerations, things like your attendance record and and that type stuff. But once again, it's first come, first serve. So the best advice that, that I can give to someone is if there's somewhere that you want to transfer you should go into e-reassign and submit a request as soon as possible. Um, In some cases, if it's a location that's not, you know, terribly desirable, that may be a very short list, or you might even be the only person on that list. If you are submitting a request to a location where there's a lot of people that want to transfer, you know, chances are it could be a very long list. So, um, Predicting the amount of time it will take for them to reach you and consider you for a possible transfer is really impossible. But the one thing is for sure that if you want to transfer someplace, the quicker you go in and reassign and submit it, um, the better. Because if you wait, you know, a day or two days or a week or whatever, there's always a possibility of someone else. Um, submitting it ahead of you and getting, you know, being ahead. So one thing you can do if uh, anyone out there is is curious about where you are on a particular list, you can call your national business agent's office. They can communicate with us here at headquarters and we can, you know, give you some sense of um, how many people may be ahead of you or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, that that's something that's uh, it's fairly common. So, you know, even though I think the, he said he had a hundred requests submitted, I would say to you, if, you know, you're looking to get to a certain area and there are even other installations there that would be acceptable to you, I'd encourage you to go ahead and submit for those because obviously the more places you submit to transfer to, then uh, the, the better the possibility that that opportunity comes comes a little sooner. And that was our Ask the Mailbag segment. If you have a question for the mailbag, you can email us at social at nalc.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of You Are the Current Resident podcast. Please subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And please share our podcast with our NALC brothers and sisters. You can follow the NALC on social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. You can find links to our accounts in the episode description. And you can follow President Renfro on Twitter at BrianRenfro19. If you have any questions to submit or have feedback about the podcast, again, please email us at social at NALC.org. May your steward be by your side and may your union have your back. Thanks for listening. See you next week.